The world has gone insane. Cosplayers rule the conventions. Gamers dominate the tabletop and the internet. Sci-fi subjugates the movies. And fantasy rules the bookstore with an iron fist. Only one group can bring order to this unruly mob. A team of uber geeks, masters of the nerdly arts, trained for decades in the hobby shops and basements of the nation. Mobilized by the secret masters, they are the Department of Nerdly Affairs. Hello, operatives, and welcome to the Department of Nerdly Affairs. I'm your host, Rob Patterson, here with my co-host, Don Chisholm. No, you're out of order, and you're out of order, and you're out of order. Okay, man. Okay, okay, just just back away slowly. Just back away slowly, man. All right, um, when Don has calmed down, we're going to be talking about culture war profiteering. And some of you are probably going, culture war profiteering, what the hell is that? Well... I think Don knows. Don, what's culture war profiteering? Um, it's it's a term that we've been using amongst uh, our little gang talking about things. It's the idea of um, essentially weaponizing and marketing rage in order to sell something, be it an ideology or a product. Okay. Actually, that sounds like something we should get Jack Ward in on. Hey, Jack, you want to join in? I'm mad as hell, and I'm not going to take it anymore. Okay, well there we go. Um, so, so, so just a little network re- refer reference there, because I think that was referring a bit to culture war stuff as well. So. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, this has been going on for a little while. It's it's definitely. It has. Um, I've Thanks for having me, guys. It's you good are to be most back. welcome. No, it's it's always great to have you on, Jack. Um, mm-hmm. As I've also going back to your definition, Don, I've occasionally heard it referred to also as the outrage machine. Yeah, that's another another. Uh, I I think that the problem with referring to it just as the outrage machine is, it's not always just rage that's that true. gets tapped into. That's the easy one, but mm. it, there's always there, there's personal identity gets pulled into it. Um, all kinds of weird temporal thinking gets mm. pulled into it. That sort of thing. Okay. Uh, well, let's let's go back in time then. So, uh, w- let's start at the beginning. So. Where do you think this whole culture war profiteering thing came from? Like, what do you think is some of the earliest examples probably of this that we could come up with? Oh, geez, for us. Uh, I think, like you said, it's something that's always been going on because there's always been some kind of propaganda that somebody's used to mm-hmm. strengthen their position, to further their their ideas, to get followers. Um, I think talking specifically the kind that we're experiencing nowadays, mm-hmm. I would probably say it, it's a post-war, post-World War II thing, because I think part of it ties in with, um, it's all marketing. Okay. So you wouldn't and, go back to, like, the invention, say, of the newspaper? Because I could see that, you know, back uh, after the printing West press was invented, it didn't take them long to come up with, like, newspapers, and everyone had their own newspaper and newsletters and such. And I could see that probably back then they were doing a whole lot of this kind of thing, too. Oh, yeah, I definitely say that. I think um, what's happened in, in fairly recent times is we've gone back to that kind of old school version. Oh, OK. Because well, that mm-hmm. that was sort of like more more blatant. Right. 
Okay, so I think maybe we better pause then. It suddenly occurs to me that we might want to give the audience a clear like, example of what we're talking about. Okay, so Jack, can you come up with a clear example of culture war profiteering? That's a very simple one that the audience would understand. Well, this is – and I'm getting a little bogged down too because here I'm thinking of two different things as well. So mm-hmm. I would go back and I'd say what Go- Goebbels was doing um, in, in Germany in World War II was certainly probably the most um, targeted propaganda that was designed to set up a culture war. Mm-hmm. Um, and designed to be able to draw, you know, the tribalism of Germanic people mm-hmm. and this whole idea of what we're supposed to do. And that was, you know, for a very political purpose. But if you go back even and, – and that was like the V2 rockets, if you'll excuse the pun, of, of culture war profiteering first. <laughs> but if you go back, you get this democratized – culture war stuff happening like you said back with you know the printing press and being able to put out flyers Mm -hmm. and move stuff around i think what we're seeing now is far more like you're getting both happening you're you're getting the really big um german propaganda style machine going back and forth Mm -hmm. between donald trump and collusion with with russia no 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 it's clinton and collusion with russia oh no no it's wikileaks inclusion and and the media giants sort of churning that around to try to make a profit as opposed to try to be able to necessarily move people in a very particular political direction. Mm. And then you've got the democratized version, like the leaflets going on in social media, Mm. where people are trying to say, you know, like, oh, I got 15 of these leaflets. Everybody must be against Gronk. So let's go over and go against the anti-Gronk thing, because then it's coming from the ground up. So we're getting hit by both sides. We're getting hit by big money culture war profiteering coming from media giants coming from large political parties coming from all this stuff that's happening on the net that's being seen at, uh to be uh pushed in in some direction and then you're also getting uh this this roundup stuff where somebody gets really really offended by something that a celebrity says and the next thing you know it's in it's everywhere in 24 hours even faster than the news cycle can catch up with it yeah it's it, in fact it's even gone in 24 hours the site the the outrage cycle is already over by that point absolutely and you do you brought up a big point i think outrage draws or 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 drives the social media smaller elements mm-hmm. not just outrage but i think because i think don's really right about that but i think that outrage is the fastest sort of burn time right yeah I mean, it's the fastest way to get people to click on sites, uh, click on ads, click on things that will make other people money. Um, yeah, we've always known media. that negativity is the easiest way to get somebody's attention. Mm, that's true. Just ask kids. Young kids learn that really, really <laughs> fast. That's right. There is no such thing as uh, bad attention. That's right. Mm. <laughs> That's the way Johnny, it often goes. Johnny, why are you climbing on top of the stove? Johnny, I've told you not to climb on top of the stove. Johnny, Johnny. Wait, I'm coming <laughs> over there, Johnny. Fine. Yep. <laughs> yep, exactly. Okay, so so based on that, I mean, okay, so yes, I would agree. There are really two kinds of um, culture war profiteering, or at least you could say not just two kinds, I should say. there. It comes from two ends. It comes from the top and it comes from the bottom both. 
Right. Um, right. Two so, sources. Two, huh. two, main, two main sources. Where So the, the big boys are using it to keep society divided because a divided society is more advantageous to them. Um, let's talk about this, actually. So why do political parties want us to be divided? You know, how do they profit from us being divided? Um, I think you guys have hit on something kind of odd. Uh-oh. And I think this kind of like like I don't have the proper language to explain the the, the position I am starting from. Okay. But I think you guys have kind of hit at it because there's always been propaganda. There's always been profiteering mm-hmm. off of off of like identity and mm-hmm. and culture and the clash and stuff. I think what we've got and we've always talked about how the '90s they quote unquote perfected the formula, mm-hmm. and that's why from like the nineties on entertainment all tends to be pretty, the pretty the same in that. Mm-hmm. And I think what you guys have gotten at, that makes the difference from what we're experiencing now, mm-hmm. um, over what we experienced, say like back in the day, going back to like the, 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 the last century mm-hmm. is the diversification of media has really made it easy for anybody to pander to a specific audience. Right. Well, the internet this, has. Yeah. Like, well, not just the internet, because it start. I think it kind of started with cable TV. Okay. Because you had cable. What used to happen is we had this idea of society. Mm-hmm. And we've mentioned before that society is not one thing. It's a bunch of little things that bump into each other. But when you had, uh, as you said, the gatekeepers for, for media, when you had like, there were three networks in that. Mm-hmm. Everybody was getting their info from the same inputs, and I think that added to this idea of society being a cohesive thing. You get the cable, you get specialty channels. Um, I I don't have to share the airwaves with with different things, which is why, like, say, when I was a kid, you'd get the televangelists at 5 a.m. Saturday, and then that would go right into the cartoons. Weird mix, but because we shared the same airwaves... Everybody got a little taste of everything. When you get to the cable era, I can buy a cartoon station, and I don't have to watch the televangelists. I can get a televangelist station, not have to bother with the cartoons. You have that breaking up. When you get to the internet, it breaks it up even further, mm-hmm. and then that gets to the idea. Uh, one of the things we're we're dealing with still from that is it's painfully obvious now that society isn't a cohesive whole because mm-hmm. the internet kind of distorts the, 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 the volume, I guess you'd say. By which you mean it allows uh, people who would normally not have a voice to have a voice. Is that what you mean? Well, not just that, but like if there's three of you who mm-hmm. are really worried about an issue, you can sound like an army. Right. That's true. And, and all it takes is for, for that to sort of, go down the right channel and all of a sudden now it becomes a big public issue, even though it's something that really only matters to like three people. Yes. Isn't it the illusion though, too? That's what I find really fascinating. Like I put up that video for TJ. I sent it to you guys Mm -hmm. and um, I put it on Facebook and and you can put the link to it, Rob, at some point. Right. Um, He's the amazing atheist who I don't agree with 90% 90 Mm -hmm. of the time, but he had a really interesting video where he said, you know, this is what the machine likes to do. It likes to make people constantly yell at them in outrage. It likes to make people afraid of stuff. And we've known this forever. If you make people afraid, they don't think. 
They don't mm-hmm. sit, take yep. the time to sit and listen to each other, and they don't band together to actually make change. Yeah. Right. And so this illusion that people have in social media of, oh, I hate this, you hate this? Yeah, I hate this, um, only lasts for a very short time because there's no need for you guys to do anything other than just spout off how you feel. And so that that ripples in the pond for a while, and then that ripples done, and then there's a new outrage that you can you can you know uh, virtue signal of some sort and say I I'm against that too. That is awful, and I couldn't. You, everybody should be against that. Well, I'm against that too, and it's just a bunch of these this this entire row of people just moving along, saying something, but nothing happens. Like you don't see any yeah. actual movement beyond the fact that this is going across social media. And and I think media, what happens right now is media doesn't recognize when something horrible happens that they could just ride it out. Yeah. And in 10 days, nobody would even remember what it was about. Yeah. Let yeah. alone, you know, like in, in, in a day, it, it still might be deepening if they don't do anything. By the end of six or seven days, it, it'll be done and there'll be a new thing that people will yell about. Yeah. Yeah, I think the, the the thing you got to look out for with that, where a lot of people go down a path I think um, isn't quite right. Starting for your point, always remember that that process, I don't think, is intentional. Um, Which process? You, well, and what, what happens is when you look at the media, mm-hmm. wh- however you define that, the media has one agenda, and that is to get you to partake of more of the media. Mm-hmm. So they can make that, money. Yeah, or or whatever, like money, get likes, so they can reaffirm themselves. Because well, me, me, yes and no. I I'll, I I will agree with you. To, yeah, they're there to make they're there to make more money for media, and and that's the the typical you know a capitalist will sell you a rope to hang himself story, right? Mm. But they're also at a point that they're a larger entity, and they're recognizing that they have not just a a. a a desire to make cash for the for the moment, but they also want to set up a system that allows them to do that on the long term. See, I, I I'd be careful though. Don't focus just and on this is again where I don't have the words. I wouldn't focus just on making money because a lot of what happens, it's not about money. It's not about tangible profit. Um, when somebody sets up their YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. They may be thinking of monetizing it in the future, but at first, it's just that idea of people like me. They really like me. If okay. you talk, if you talk like say politics and that, it's selling you an ideology. It's selling you a perspective. It's selling you something, but not necessarily something tangible. And this is why I say media, which however you define it, whatever it, be it that that kid with their their YouTube channel, or you're talking about MSNBC. Media wants you to partake of more media. Now, there's reasons for that. It could be money. It could be warm fuzzies. could be whatever. And the process by which they get you to partake, and this goes with that idea that uh, when you look at the corporate end, corporations are amoral. They can't make Mm. moral decisions. They just exist for profit. Well, this takes that principle a bit more. Media just exists to get more consumers of media. And because of that, whatever works is the route that they're going to take to get you more. And this is where I think where I'd say a lot of what happens and a lot of the 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 arguing in that that we get and a lot of the really bizarre, stupid, painful, horrifying stuff that happens, it's not 
exactly by design. It's that things have started down one of these like weird paths. Um, an example of that and kind of the ramifications, and this ties in again with what Jack was saying, we talked about how um, in recent years Marvel Comics mm-hmm. was getting all kinds of flack because their their comics weren't inclusive enough. They weren't expressing what were considered pro-social ideals, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. They went that route and the audience stayed away in droves and they themselves said that, you know, you, you kids wanted this stuff, we did it and nobody cared. But I think it's again, what happened, it was Jack talking about that, you know, that, that 24 hour rage cycle that you're really offended by this one thing. And the irony, if you look at people who critique the Marvel comics or DC caught a lot of flack uh, a few years earlier. They weren't talking a lot about content. They're talking about covers because these weren't people that cared. They did not give a shit over Marvel Comics. It was just the cause du jour for the day. It was the symbol that you could outrage, reaffirm your identity, um, consider yourself a good person because I tweeted so I, I against the machine, so I'm a hero. Mm-hmm. And then Marvel followed that route because to them it looked like here's this potential audience just waiting to be tapped. Mm-hmm. It didn't pan out because, again, it wasn't that – this was a willful kind of act. It wasn't that there were really people who were concerned whether or not Spider-Man was expressing pro values. It was this unfortunate conglomeration of all these different little groups bumping into each other, completely misreading each other. And now Spider-Man has a print run of 20,000 copies a month. Right. Okay. Um, that will your average Marvel comic, I think, is running at about twenty thousand copies a month. Yeah, that's what I've heard mm-hmm. anyway. Um, so, but here's where here's where my 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 question is, and I it's not working for them because, right. and not just comics, it's not working for them. It's not working for them in old media. It seems like they're caught up in trying to ring the bell in the way that they know it as well. Like uh, CNN's numbers have been going down. MSNBC's numbers have been going down. Fox's numbers have been going down as their as their watching public has been dying. Yet you take a look mm-hmm. at the Young Turks and they're killing it with numbers that mm-hmm. are out there. And so, is it because social media is still doing that past thing? Like, is it passing everybody? And because they're always making new content, there's an opportunity for you know, the culture wars to continue and that's why it's working really, really well. Um, and because you can interact directly with it, mm-hmm. that then you have that action as opposed to old fashioned television. You can't do the definitively direct interaction unless you're tweeting something as you, as you watch it, but it's still not the same thing. It's not the same as like putting down your likes and dislikes in a comment section on YouTube that way. Yeah. What, what ends up happening here, um, and I think, again, we mentioned this in the show a long time ago, part of it ties into your idea of normal. And remember, normal is what you expect. So every generation or two, there's a new thing. And that generation, because as kids, you're you're just absorbing your environment. You're not really judging it yet because you don't have anything to compare it to. Mm. The new thing becomes the standard thing, and then the next generation rails against it. And I think that's what you're seeing, because if you remember in the 80s when cable took off, Mm -hmm. the big networks took a lot of hits. Yeah. And it was because uh, cable was was the bright, shiny new thing first off. Um, It was that idea that it allowed – it diversified – the audience and allowed you to pander more specifically to whichever group you're trying to catch. 
you get to say the next generation and they get the internet mm-hmm. and the internet does that but more um what you're getting nowadays i think in part because of a uh, big part because of the idea of the smartphone mm-hmm. well it's the internet that never leaves you alone and that's what the kids get climatized to nowadays so something like say network television which is three or four generations removed it doesn't appeal to the quote-unquote new audience because it doesn't have any of the features that they're into. Hmm. That makes like sense. Like, if I'm watching, like, a, an ABC sitcom, I have to watch that sitcom. I can't be doing eight other things at the same time. The TV doesn't allow for that. Um, hmm. Because of the turnaround time that it takes to produce a sitcom and get it distributed and get it on the air, they're not reacting with the same speed that, like, my little pocket computer can to what's going on in the world. They can't pander to my current taste rate at this minute. Um, right, yeah. That that used to be the old gag that, like, once something showed up on a uh, – was was a punchline on a network sitcom. That's how you knew the fad was over, right? Yeah, yeah, that's true, actually. And it's still true in a lot of ways. I mean, well, that's what social media is. It's like it's literally by the minute. I mean – yeah. Now, generally speaking, the, by the time late night you know talk show hosts talk about a topic, that usually means it's already done at least one or two cycles, like on yeah. the internet. I mean, really, they're getting it way behind. I mean, I see stuff on Reddit, and it doesn't pop up for two or three days in the general media, and then the uh, talk show hosts like Colbert will talk about it the day or two later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, no, not always. The Colbert, they're getting better at watching social media and looking for this stuff. But that's often what you'll see is that, that huge delay. I, I just want to add, though, that there's a level you're missing, which is that remember that uh, social media, especially Facebook and such, are really des- are de- is designed to give you a constant set of, uh, was it, dopamine hits as well. Yep. So there's a double whammy there. Not only are you getting news, you're getting news that affirms your beliefs and gives you a chemical high at the same time. Yeah, I was yeah, gonna I was gonna point out that there's a there's an article floating around just recently about the people who created all of this ability for like fast messaging on your phone and stuff like that and mm-hmm. how they don't even have their kids use this stuff. Like <laughs> Steve Jobs refused his child to ever use an iPod because he could he knew that he knew the internal um, studies that they had and how addictive this was and and many of those people in the large tech companies mm. on the west coast they have their kids in schools that are that are dumbed down schools they're not they're not connected or wired schools they keep mm. them very completely away from this stuff <laughs> bill so gates they know allowed, the danger that comes from that right yeah bill mm. gates only allowed his kids 45 minutes a day of screen time of any screen there you go 45 minutes a day of screen time. That's all. That was Bill Gates who let them, because he's like, no, you kids need to stay the hell away from this stuff. Yeah. (laughs) The stuff he's selling to everyone else's kids. Good stuff. Right. Yep. He's the pusher. (laughs) Well, yeah. Drug dealers don't take their own product, right? That's right. So is, is cultural war profiting the new drug? It is, but there's, there's another catch to it too, that I think, um, where we're at now adds the the latest newest twist is mm-hmm. where the content comes from is the consumer, right? So we've reached, and this is this is where it it gets easy to break your audience down and mm-hmm. group into into tribe intellectual tribes. Is 
most of like social media is the the big thing, but the content comes from the people who are on social media. So it's mm-hmm. the ultimate in pandering because we're sort of at the point where we're pandering to ourselves at this at this level. Well, you're pandering to other people that are like you. Well, I would see I would I'd say technically you're right, but the process by which it happens is I'm pandering to myself mm-hmm. and then like-minded people are keying in and this is why you can get such tiny small groups mm-hmm. that um that are are banding together around tiny small issues but then seemingly amplified because there's no way to tell like like actual levels on the internet hmm. and and it's the- really fascinating because i just finished telling this to somebody is that um, because they were talking about how you can't, you know, you can't spend time talking to the other side because, you know, they're, they're awful people. And mm. I said, the more you talk to human beings, the mm. more you discover they're not like you. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're, you're going to find all kinds of things that we have in common. But at some point, if you talk to somebody long enough, you're going to find something that they don't have in common with you that you're going to go, oh, that sucks. And it doesn't matter what it is. But mm-hmm. it will be that one thing, which means there's always that opportunity for that next outrage that can yeah. happen that will that will start all over again. And you will just constantly break things down further mm. and further and further. And maybe you'll find people who were you're against you before but are totally with you on this. And and you got these these explosions all the mm-hmm. time happening. It's fascinating mm-hmm. stuff from a sociological perspective. It's all it's going to kill us all. But it's fascinating <laughs> stuff, right? Because yeah, one one of the things you're getting at, um, what the internet really did, and I think this kind of took off in the last 10 years, probably because of social media, and how it led us to this is the internet is essentially weaponized nerd rage. Okay. And, and I say that because I remember like – Back in like the early mid nineties, we were at university. I worked in a comic book shop, mm-hmm. and I remember like this was kind of the beginning of the collapse of the industry. And I remember people would come in, and mm-hmm. I think I've mentioned it before. They'd be like, you have. "Yeah, yeah." It, it was never the idea that, "Oh, well, I'm displeased with my current comic. Maybe I will retire from a while from it and try something new." It was <laughs> never ever that. It was never that people just did not care. For, at that point, it was always, yeah, like how the writer was horrible, the company specifically trying to ruin this character. They're doing it to me personally because nerd rage is basically outrage. Like you're making something personal that isn't. Mm-hmm. So when Superman decides to wear his panties underneath his tights, like they're not doing that to personally piss you off. It's that every so many years these characters are licenses. They get rethought. They get re-engineered. Um, if you don't like it, it's not because they're specifically doing it to you. But nerd rage was that feeling that they're doing it intentionally. And then the problem is I can get on the internet mm-hmm. and I can talk about, you know, how the, the the idea of Superman wearing his underwear underneath his tights. Like, oh my God, it's the worst, horriblest thing ever. They're trying to ruin the character. And maybe one or two other people join in. But see, now we have support and that idea takes off. Mm-hmm. And then if you happen to to bump into another group that mm-hmm. can take that as their pet cause, then that can proliferate. And 
as that message gets out, it bumps into other groups that might disagree, and it's never, I disagree with your position. It's always that you're a horrible social justice warrior, fascist, right-wing Nazi, whoever it is, I hate this week kind of thing, because you want Superman to wear his underwear on the outside of his tights, and that's what Hitler would have done. And and then it, it takes off from there, and as that idea ends up spreading into the ether, other different little people will glom onto it, either to intentionally exploit it or because for some reason it gets under their skin based on on their perception of who they are, their position, their dogma, blah, blah, blah. And then that makes it even worse. And I think, like I say, that's sort of the core of the, the culture we're profiteering is that you're taking these these issues that may or may not be consequential. Some of them mm-hmm. are important. Some of them really aren't. But you're making it seem like the entire world for a little bit to grab as many people as you can. Other people are going to oppose it. And then that goes on until the next outrage happens. Well, let's let's go. You want to go comics? Let's go with an actual comic uh, example of that. And that's Captain America as being a member of Hydra all this time. Right. Mm. That was a huge explosion. That was a huge explosion for me for the exact same reason that I remember. Um, growing up and having Steve Rogers as like a, a role model for me, and right. then and 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 them cho- choosing something that he would absolutely never do made me crazy. The difference is is that I wouldn't go around yelling too much about it beyond my one post on Facebook, and I wouldn't uh-huh. go, you know, starting and growing with a whole bunch of people. I I'm my in the past if they mm-hmm. did something like that before social media happened. They would probably get a lot of people buying the comic book to see how it would turn out. Yeah. Because there was a little bit of a faith that, yeah, this this is just a way to be – like it was like the death of Superman, right? Mm. That happened way before social media, and it really pumped up the comic business right. um, for that for particular – For a bit, <laughs> right? For that particular thing. That was the thing. Um same thing with Batman and Bane, right? There was mm-hmm. like those those huge moments in those comic book things. And now it seems like there's so much noise coming from social media that I don't – did you have any idea if they actually sold more Captain America comic books out of this or less, more people shut themselves out of it? I know that there were protests in front of comic book shops and I know that uh, um, there, were, there was a lot of comic shops that wouldn't carry it. Because there are a lot of people were 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 you know were like well you know my father grandfather fought in World War Two and stuff like that and he would hate it if you know I sold a comic that was about America's greatest hero being a Nazi and all this stuff. I know that there were protests at various comic shops and I know that it made like you know that it made the social media rounds and it became you know fodder for the outrage machine and for some social media profiteering it got marvel some attention which was i suspect their original goal of course you don't do a shock yeah. thing like that if you don't want attention yeah. but did it actually improve sales i honestly don't know i don't think it made a big i don't think I, it made a big diff i don't think it did at best probably what it did is it probably sold maybe extra copies of the first issue of that secret empire i think it was or whatever mm-hmm. where they did this and then yeah. after that everyone said oh okay and then they and they stopped buying and it just the sales just dropped off yeah. i'm guessing but i don't know for sure yeah because that the that captain america secret empire thing that's a great example because everybody was outraged and i mean like i i've i've heard the story a million times they're just defaming my favorite hero yeah but it's a 
fucking comic book. Marvel and DC have been like written like pro wrestling for a long time. Guys, hmm. switch case in point. That's not the first time they did that to Captain America. It's not. No, if you remember back in the late eighties, uh, Steve Rogers quits, and yes, they get. Yes, you remember that. You they get a. Yeah, yeah it's not Walker. Steve Rogers. It's a D- yeah, the DNA agent. Yeah, or, or DNA agent. US agent. US agent. Yeah, US, yeah, US agent. Yeah, that was like John Walker, and he ends up like turning crazy. If you remember in the seventies, yeah, uh, Captain America gives up being uh, being Captain America because he doesn't believe in the American dream anymore, and he becomes Nomad, the man without a country. And, That's right. Um, even if you go back further, the 1950s Captain America wasn't Steve Rogers. Steve Rogers no. was was frozen, and they did a storyline in I think it was the late 60s, early 70s, where that guy who was the second one, because Steve Rogers is the first and the third Captain America. Rogers had to fight him because he had gone completely batshit insane because he was like a fascist, evil kind of guy. And I think he might have been working for Hydra at that point too. And then that- he was no, he's working for the Russians. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. okay. He was kind of the Winter Soldier 1.0 in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And this, and this is the thing, like, back in the day, that sort of shit happened all the time. It still does. But what happens now is somebody will get offended. And again, I'm willing to bet that half the people who are screaming about Steve Rogers being a Nazi mm-hmm. have never read a fucking Captain America comic. They don't pick up. The, they know him because of the movies. Mm, and this is true. why Marvel. This is why Marvel comics have print runs of twenty thousand copies because nobody's bothering with the comics anymore. But like I said, that idea gets out there. It bumps into these other groups that that it either irks them or they see it as an opportunity. A uh, lot of noise, blah blah blah. Um, you could see even I know back in the day you'd have mm-hmm. companies that would milk things like that because outrage would equal sales. But like I said, mm-hmm. I think what happens nowadays nobody cares and partly because of how the internet works back in the day if i wanted to see why everybody was outraged by captain america i kind of had to read the comic yeah whereas nowadays if i don't just directly go to a streaming website that's pirating the thing i can read full synopses different places they'll have excerpts different places if it's a slow news week one of the big news channels will pick it up and i'll see the whole thing laid out and mm-hmm. blah, blah blah and i think that's part of why that that old style of outrage equals sales doesn't work, but you've still got people from media people running the thing from two generations back that remember when that did work, but they don't have that new plan because the way the nature of geezerisms is that when something new happens, we don't look into it. We poo poo it because that's not normal. It's not what we're used to. And Mm. that's why you get things like say your Marvels and your DCs, that back, say, when we were teenagers, had sales in like the hundred, seven hundred thousand copies would be like a, a, a not an unrealistic number that have such low sales now because they don't know how to adapt to the current climate, to the current like marketing, to the current industry. Well, I think that that's just a problem in general. I mean, the yeah. internet and video games that they've they, here comics have more competition now than they did once upon a time too. I mean, they're fighting for eyeball space basically. And at this point, I think it's just they have a hard road. Although, again, it's odd. Print, um, like ebooks and that are doing awesome. Like, mm-hmm. and even print itself is actually having a resurgence. It's actually doing pretty well. But not comic books. Unless you're in Japan, like you said. Yeah. Yeah. 
Right, Japan's well, still doing so much better than than America compared to what I mean. What you were saying, number wise. Oh, they are. Um, they're still doing so much better. But keep in mind, even for Japan, they're actually down. They actually yeah. are. They're 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 still experiencing a slump too. It's just that, you know, Shonen Jump, a slump means it's only selling two billion copies a week. Yeah. And you know, and a Marvel book is selling twenty thousand twenty thousand copies a month. Um, so, I mean, okay, there's a little scale difference there. That's true, but they're still, mm-hmm. but they're still stumping comparatively. Okay. Um, yeah. and even in Japan, they're still having a problem with copyright pirate with, you know, piracy and such. But actually, if you want to talk comic books and culture war profiteering, I, um, I thought this is a good chance for me to bring this up. Um, something that's been bugging me recently. There's a, there's a channel called, uh, comics and diversity. Okay. okay? Which you both know. Um, yeah. for those of you who haven't seen, it's. It's meant to be a um, a kind of commentary channel, mostly about Marvel comics and their uh, social justice agendas. Um, again, he's basically an example, though. Of again, I would say he's a culture war profiteer. He's actually yeah. someone who's going in and he's basically trying to build an audience based on outrage towards Marvel comics and their current uh, editorial practices. But one thing he does talk about on his channel that I actually kind of agree with, okay? There's actually, he's got some good points sometimes. Uh, Zach is his name, actually. He finally revealed his real name, or the name it goes by anyway. Um, <laughs> is that he, he began talking about what he calls purse puppies. Mm-hmm. And the and since he started talking about that, I, and I'll explain what that means. Zach lives in New York, okay? And so what a purse puppy is, is... Those are those uh, dogs, like Chihuahuas, that you'll see rich women and whatever women, usually women, occasionally men, carrying around in their purses that they, the dog never really touches the ground or anything like that. It literally is just carried around in a purse as this precious, coddled thing that is, no, that is never allowed to touch the ground and nothing bad is allowed to happen to it. You know, that's a purse puppy, okay? I think, I think most people probably understand what the idea anyway, even, even if you haven't seen one. I have seen them. But anyway, but he talks about the purse puppification of uh, of Marvel comic characters, especially the diversity ones. Mm-hmm. And I think he's right, actually. In fact, I've been seeing it in other places too now that I start to think about it, where the problem becomes, um, and I think I've talked with this Don about this before, is that, so you bring in this diverse character, but here's the problem, okay? So let's say I make uh, Iron Man, uh, you know, a, a black teenager, black female teenager. Okay, fine. No problem. The, could be an interesting idea. Let's go with that. But the problem is, is that they are afraid to actually do anything with the character because they're afraid to do anything bad to her because they're afraid that if they do, they'll be perceived as a bunch of racists. Mm-hmm. So what happens is, is these characters turn into what he calls purse puppies. And I actually would agree with that, where they, because that character now represents that minority they are terrified that if they portray that character in any bad way or give that character any bad experiences, it will be seen as them picking on that minority. And mm-hmm. so and it will gen- basically generate the outrage machine. And they're terrified of that. So these characters literally go on these super bland, passive adventures. And I use adventures <laughs> and books that are basically them just kind of walking around at most being perfect and having almost no challenges and not really doing anything. And that's because they're terrified of triggering the outrage machine. And it's basically, it's basically stunted their storytelling. And I don't think that that's 
entirely their fault. I mean, Marvel's fault. I think that that's part of the climate that we live in, that they're so terrified because of, you know, culture war profiteering, for example, and the outrage machine, that they can't actually tell stories anymore. And I've begun to look around and pay attention to that in other media. And I began to notice that, that more and more I'm seeing characters of color, for example, or care or women or minorities or whatever. Once that character is introduced, they basically become untouchable. They be, they will go out of their way to make sure to show you that nothing bad actually happened to that character now, just literally because they're terrified. I'll give you an example, literally from today, okay? Mm. So I was watching an episode today of uh, Star Wars Rebels, which is the Star Wars uh, CGI animated series that runs on Disney XD, okay? Mm. So I'm watching it, and today was an episode called Rebel Assault, fourth season. Okay, so they... They they have this like giant space fighter battle, okay? Mm -hmm. okay they got this giant space fighter battle going. X wings versus Tie fighters, okay? And so they have in and they have this new spoiler, sorry. They have this new like super Tie fighter called the Tie Defender that comes in. It's basically like a Tie mobile armor if you understand the Gundam reference. And it basically just starts laying waste to all the Tie fighters, okay? And so all we're watching it like destroy all these like rebel X sorry it's laying waste to all the X wings and we're watching it destroy all of these X wings it destroys that X wing over there and that X wing over there and that X wing over there we watch them all blow up then it hits this this one X wing and it kind of and it blows off the wings and the and the the X wing body itself just kind of goes tumbling off do you want to know what the one difference between all of those X wings that were suddenly blew up and the one that conveniently just goes tumbling off how perfectly safe was. Mm. Female pilot. But was it one of the main characters? Nope. None of them were main characters. They were mm. all they were all basically red shirts. Oh, okay. They're all wow. red shirts and and but the the only one that they actively showed not being killed was the female pilot. Wow. It's it's funny. I was just posting a, a little video about called it's it's a it's from a channel called Netpicks. Mm -hmm. Or, or so it's like a nitpick but netpick. Um, and in it, they were making, they were talking about the problems with 13 reasons why mm -hmm. that they had in that. And I started watching that show because everybody was mm -hmm. in, in the outrage about the show. And I found it boring and I found it mm -hmm. boring because the main character was so bland, the woman who killed herself right, and, yeah. and, and, and almost just whiny. And you were sitting there going, um, all of these characters are extremely flat. The, the people that are supposed to be bad are cartoonishly bad. The people mm. who are supposed to be good are, are like the, the most, you know, virtuous people in the whole world. And, and you're thinking, okay, well, maybe this is, you know, supposed to be just a, a young adult novel. But nowadays, you'd think that there'd be more to it. And it was just, they wanted to show her as so virtuous and so badly abused that you end up going... This this person isn't a real person. Yeah. Mm. So and it's the same kind of thing that happened. I, I wonder if maybe, you know, maybe that's the biggest problem with with that they're finding now that um, unlike in the past, mm. there is this kind of justice thing connected to it, this sense of right and wrong that's mm -hmm. so deeply ingrained within the, the, the cultural uh profiteering the war machine that mm. um it's it, it it's it's going to disassemble disassemble itself in in that way because it's like it, the the purse puppy thing is not working well for marvel mm -hmm. 
That's definitely true. And and this 13 ways uh, sort of withered and died in just a couple of weeks. Nobody's ever talking about doing a second season of it right now. Mm-hmm. Um, these these stories are coming across. These these ways of looking at things in such simplistic and and immature ways are not are not taking with the major public. They may be they may be great for those people who want to see that kind of um, uh, take on things, but it's really not taking off in any way that's making a lot of cash. Hmm. Well, so does that mean that that it's doomed to fail? Yeah, there's a catch though. Um, there's a couple. We're always with you. There is, Don. Don, you are the you are the tricky person. There's always a catch with you. It's like dealing with Don a genie. is the door with like fifteen different catches, you know. <laughs> and behind door number three is door number one. But anyway, um, because what ends what what you're what you're getting, I think what what you you guys have both described mm-hmm. is a symptom of a bigger problem, and it's what we were talking I would about agree with that. Yeah, it's the idea. No matter what you do, somebody's going to get pissed off, and you have yep. no idea to know how representative that person who now hates you is. Yeah, exactly. And so, and my I just want to make clear. My point is not that I don't, not that it was a female pilot, for example. I'm not saying that that was, you know, but it's just that it's killing storytelling. That you know, it's actually it's the reverse. Remember the old days? It was always like the black guy was going to die. Like who's going to die first? Oh, that's the black guy. Ha ha ha. Which was uh, which was again was a horrible trope. But you know that's. But now it's the weird reverse where no, you can't kill the black guy because if you do, you're terrified. Your audience is going to like lynch you. Yeah. Well. So you can't do. You can't hurt anyone apparently except white guys. White guys are okay. But we're not. But I don't. But. Again, even then, who well, knows? I mean, eventually. There, there's like, did you notice – oh, sorry. Oh, I was just going to point out. Did you notice the, the latest outrage from um, Stranger Things? I don't mean the, the second latest outrage that was the kiss. But <laughs> right. the most re- latest outrage was, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. You're going to have strong women. Notice how, all sep- how they're all separate in different stories. Yeah, because – You can't the, have them together. Right. No, because because mm. the problem is, and this is why somebody's going to get pissed off. Uh, case in point, to, to to go back a couple of examples, mm. let's say you decide you're going to make Iron Man mm-hmm. uh, a, a black teenage girl. Yep. Well, as soon as that gets out, the first thing that's going to happen is people are going to be outraged by that. Yes. You're yeah. like social mm. justice warrioring up my comic and feminazis and blah. As soon as it comes out. If you do something negative to that character, portray them in a negative light, there's going to be people on the other side, just like you said, that are going to get outraged because mm-hmm. that that single character is representing the author's opinion of all women and all black people and all teenagers. And yep. you have no way, if you're Marvel, mm-hmm. of really knowing how representative of, of, of the market, of our, our audience, our potential audience – is this mm. like right, yeah. which which side is the one that 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 we're, we're going to pander to? And then no matter what you do, like so now they wear gold armor and they'll be like, Iron Man wouldn't wear gold armor. You're raping my childhood. And now that group is pissed off. And it's the nature of the 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 modern beast. No matter what you do, somebody's going to complain about it. Yep. What ends up happening to stop that is somebody does something that makes all of the money. 
and mm-hmm. they're called and and it's totally the opposite and they just don't give a shit and it's all guns blazing and they're called HBO and that's mm-hmm. why you have HBO did like um Breaking Bad which is about mm-hmm. like a a murder so that's murder. AMC AMC but did yeah, Breaking AMC. Bad yeah. yeah but then that led to HBO who did uh like like a uh, Game of Thrones mm-hmm. which has like murder and rape and all kinds of horrible things but it makes all the money and this this goes with what we talked about with the Japanese comic industry, that for the longest time people would complain and the companies be like, yeah, but it sells. Fuck you. Mm. We have a problem really swinging the pendulum hardcore the other way, because again, our media is so diverse, mm-hmm. but you will, and this is where the, the profiteering just goes on and on is you will get people who mm-hmm. can attain a big market doing something that pisses everybody off they forget pissing people off. They just do their story. They write to their market. They write to their vision, whatever it is. Mm. And they can make a living doing that. You can make a, a fair profit doing that. But mm-hmm. not everybody will do that until something becomes the big mega hit. And then everybody will do that. And then the pendulum swings the other way. And it will happen. Mm. It will- oh, so so you mean Trailer Park Boys. Yeah, like that's that's <laughs> another ex- example of a of – a, who they, they just said we're going to do this, and it became wildly popular. And that's, I think, you know, I would I would say tell good stories because that is always an important thing. As far as I'm keep I keep saying, but you know, Trailer Park Boys isn't necessarily a good story. It's just do something different that feels at least original. You know, that feels like you're not just pandering to the next great thing because people have this. You know, spidey sense when it comes to oh, so this is going to be the next you know Game of Thrones. Oh, so this is going because now now they're coming up with Lord of the Rings, the television series, mm-hmm. right? So they've got a whole bunch of them lined up because Game of Thrones was so popular. It's interesting mm-hmm. though too because there's this this unholy alliance between we talked about the two different sources, but there's an unholy alliance between the two of them, mm-hmm. uh, where you get the you know outrage from the 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 social media folks starting to to move things over into the media and the media like the large mm-hmm. media companies and say oh there may be something here like just today I was I was saying that uh, my I was mm-hmm. talking to my parents my seventy something year old parents and uh, they're usually quite happy people and my mom was quite upset and the reason is is that she lives in this lovely little a community on Puslinch Lake called um, Swastika Trail. And that's the that's the name of the, the street. Now, the name of the street was not named for Nazis. It was not named for Germans in the area. It was named way back in the early 1900s as the swastika is a sign of power. It's a sign of peace. It's a sign from Hinduism. It's used by all kinds of different cultures, including Scandinavians and native cultures. But there are a couple of people who moved on to Swastika Trail and then decided, this is awful. This We can't be naming this Swastika Trail anymore. We must change this. And so they caused a lot of stir, saying anybody who supported Swastika Trail was a right-wing activist. Um, and then that didn't seem to change it right away. So they had a vote. Uh, the vote went against these people. And then... Now uh, they decided that wasn't enough. Now they're trying to get um, more attention to it. So they went on Twitter and they went on 
Facebook, and now they're doing they're doing news stories about these apparent racists that have been living right in your backyard, <laughs> mm. right? And uh, it's uh, totally uh, upset my parents who've been living there quietly and enjoying the the history and the peace of this little place for twenty something years. And my grandparents lived there before them. They're on the same land. My grandparents had a cottage there too. So it's it's uh, it's it's disconcerting to see how little interest in history, for example, people have when it comes mm. to what, the, an idea that could const, that could change everything. Our, our ideas are changing so fast about everything that we think we know, but they're not necessarily making traction either. We're just breaking stuff down. Mm. Kind, kind so it's not, like, it's not like we're taking a, a particular stand uh, or creating a new structure. It's just like this is awful, and we're the, and you're the worst person in the world if you don't think it is, and then there's nothing left to replace it per se, or whatever they replace it is very generic. Well, that's that's kind of part of it because what ends up happening with, uh, and this is where I said when I say somebody profits from from the the culture war, mm-hmm. I don't necessarily mean monetarily because. It's the sports thing. If you ever seen like sports rivals, you know, my mm. team is better than yours and we're great and you suck and you always did. Oh, yeah. And then they punch you in the face and mm. all that. It kind of ends up being that that um, people will wrap their identity up in, in their, their pet cause. And one of the problems you start running into, which, which is where I think we're at now, which is where I think the real hazard of the, the rapidity of, of the outrage cycle is there's never any considerations for perspective or intent. Like, okay, I'll, what do you mean? Well, I'll be honest. Like, I would feel weird living on Swastika Avenue because that is a symbol that has taken, you know, it, a, a new meaning in the last, like, 80 years or so. But it... I, I would understand, again, the history of it. And at some point, if, if we got together and said, maybe we should call it something else, and everybody said, yeah, okay, let's do that, and we, we set it up, that'd be great. But it's not going to like completely horrify me if, if we didn't, because the intent there isn't to, to be offensive. The intent isn't, we named it Swastika lanes to as a beacon so all the nazis can rally around our street and no that's it it just happened to be that's the name and this is where you run into a lot of uh a lot of the critiques that are put forward to stuff they assume a perspective and an intent based on the the nuts and bolts mm-hmm. and and that's why so for instance if i i have like like a hero who's a visible minority, except Asians. Asians, it's still okay to pick on. Um, what ends up happening is if well, they did that, make manga and anime, so that's right, and, and <laughs> that, that's where evil begins. But very true. But it's it's that idea. If 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 I show something bad happen to that character, there are people who will be outraged immediately because they'll say you're making a statement about the the how you feel about this this group and they should be kept down and blah blah no they're the hero of an action story and action heroes get punched in the face that's just how it works but Mm. people never take i don't even want i I was going to say the long view it's not the long view it's the less than immediate view because again it's not about 
solving an issue. It's not about delving into it. It's that I saw something that made me react. Mm. I'm going to vent my outrage on the internet. Yeah. Mm. How does that go? You can rest assured that within minutes I was expressing my outrage to the entire internet. And then I feel like I've done something for my cause. It goes away unless it's a slow news week. And then some mouthpiece on the news talks about how everybody who complained about that is just a lib cut, evil idiot bringing us down. And then that's going to inflame me and start the next wave of this stupid, pointless argument. Mm. And again, it's because nobody, nobody can get outside of their own head mm. to think, is that really, is this person really a Nazi or not? And the 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 negative aspect of the 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 culture we're profiteering is it's mm. such a deep pandering that we're very seldom encouraged to step out of our own head to look at the the other side as it were and and think think that through like anybody who does a is just immediately the enemy hmm exactly mm-hmm. well you're either with us or against us that's yeah. how culture we're profiteering works it makes everything tribal and it makes everything – they're either on your side or they're not on your side. You're either with us or you're against us. Yeah. Which, and there is no other options. And it's it's not new. It's just that I think since yeah, the 90s – Yeah, humanity. Yeah, since the 90s and the diversification, not just of, of media but of information, means mm. that we have perfected that. <laughs> Remember we used to make we, – we, we sounded the alarm when George Bush said that. Remember when George W. Bush said you're either with us or you're with the terrorists? Right. People yeah, went, yeah. no, 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 no. It doesn't work like that, George. Now George yeah. Bush could be the prophet because it does work like that for everything. Yeah. You're either with us or you're with the bad people. And it doesn't matter either side you're on, right? Yeah, it doesn't matter. And well, again, it's just making everything tribal, right? It's just mm-hmm. making everything about which team is winning. It's you could call it the tribification or the gamification because everything's a game now, right? Yeah, yeah. We're all in some form of game. Yeah, the the game thing is uh, important because I think that pertains to politics. And when we talk politics here, it's usually we're referring to American politics. We're Canadian. Our system works a little different, but we keep trying to engage the stupid like you know cultural warfare over politics but if you look at the last couple of elections say in the states Mm. go back three or four elections and what you saw when they would vet candidates they weren't Mm. vetting them on the quality of their idea it wasn't will this work it was does it toe the party line enough Mm. you get to the last one or two elections and the whole vetting procedure it's not even does it toe the party line. It's can this person win? Mm-hmm. Well, can this person win with the people who are forever within the party? No, like, no, it's, it's just there is a catch there. No, no, no. It's it's can they win? Can they win the election? That's what it is. the The party part almost doesn't matter because, and you kind of start seeing that where people will do stuff that you'd think would oppose the ideology of their party, but it's overlooked because this candidate has the best chance of winning. Like it's oh, well, yeah, Trump. Well, not even like there's there's even more like that was that was. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, you're right in that respect, but I don't think people outside of the the belt, uh, beltway, the beltway actually really believed that Clinton was going to win. I mean, she'd lost twice before, mm-hmm. uh, once to a senator that nobody had heard of. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and 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 then and and so so they they were trying to push somebody that was fitting in with what their corporate culture was in the DNC, and that's why you know the only reason Bernie Sanders won. Nobody knew who Bernie Sanders or almost won. The only reason that Bernie Sanders was there is that, um, like I said, nobody had heard of him before, but nobody was willing to run against Hillary Clinton. Mm-hmm. So he said, well, you know, I'll at least make it, you know, a bit of a horse race. I'm a nobody. And mm, right. and that way it'll add more interest to the DNC. If they just crowned her, it would it would have been, you know, there, there'd be no money brought into the coffers of the DNC. Right. Mm-hmm. And mm. and they would have to start fundraising when the actual elections was going in place. The, but but then this guy, this Jewish communist socialist guy uh-huh. uh, I don't think he is but that's what they were calling him right a social social Democrat is what he calls himself an independent mm-hmm. almost beat Hillary Clinton and and possibly could have if they didn't play dirty tricks to keep her in the thing so if they know and even to this day Bernie Sanders is without a doubt by by miles the most popular political candidate. And his policies, the most popular policies for the DNC, and they just announced uh, Tom Perez, who's the head of the DNC now, has just scored out all of the Bernie Sanders supporters, all of the people who are progressive out of the DNC, drummed them out of the heads so that they're no longer in that party. So you're wondering, it's if they're trying to win, they're going the exact wrong way of doing it. They're already talking about making a third party, like a, a legitimate third party. Mm-hmm. They just announced two days ago or something like that. The Bernie can the the Bernie people for Bernie Sanders announced they are creating a uh, a people's party. They're not. That's what they're calling. Yeah, it, I, 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 I heard. And <laughs> you know what will happen though? The corporate media will. One of two things will happen. Either the corporate media will pay incredible amounts of attention to them, in which case we'll get the Trump effect where they'll win because the because they get so much attention. Right. Um. Or the opposite will happen, which is they'll do the burn. They'll do what the corporate media kind of did to Bernie to begin with, which is they'll basically just ignore him. And you're they'll forgetting the, the third. You're forgetting the third option, though. The third no, option. No, dude. There's only two. There's only ever two options. Otherwise, you're a fucking <laughs> communist. Sorry. What? Sorry. Well, the, sorry, the, Jack. Sorry. The, the third option is potentially that they get so much uh, social media uh, around them. So many people mm. threatening to uh, leave the DNC that somehow they get them back in the fold. And there'll be yeah. a big coming back together, just like there was a uniting of the right in Canada years ago. And then they'll unite the left because they have to beat Trump, right? Mm. So it becomes this story. And if that becomes the story, the media will jump on that because they love to hear that kind of, you know, who's who's going to unite to to defeat the evil right and that becomes a (laughs) great media story right so well the right did that too remember the tea party originally started as a third party yeah and then eventually the republicans absorbed them because that because they realized their vote was going to get split so they're like okay we'll absorb them and of course they the pt party ended up taking over and the same thing may happen with the dnc but the problem is the proper dnc are a bunch of corporatists who are basically just corporate shills for the most part Mm-hmm. And the the social justice wing of the DNC, that's basically the Bernie wing that's just that's just leaving. Yeah. So unless they bring them back, they're going to be split, and it's going to be really, it, like you said, they're may, they, they may have this big coming together to defeat Trump. That could happen, but we'll see. We'll see. And on that note, I'm going to have to bid good night. I am turning into a pumpkin. 
you are looking a little orange, so okay, off you go. Thank you very much. I do have uh, some report cards to finish for tomorrow, or I would love to stay. I really appreciate oh. it. Thanks for coming on, Jack. You yeah. can find out what happens later by listening to the show, like I everyone will, else. I will, I will wait with bated breath. Good night, Don. Okay. <laughs> Please do. Good night, Jack. Talk to you later. Whew, now we got rid of that guy. All right, so <laughs> let's have a real conversation. Oh, kidding, Jack. Kidding, kidding. All right, so. He hit on one of the other uh, mm-hmm. the, the, the problems we have as human beings. Right. And, and we have quite a few. Yes, we do. And we've mentioned it before on the show mm-hmm. that we think in terms of story. Mm, we do. And this is where it comes back and bites us on the ass because when we look at, say, politics or, or so society or world events, we want it to be a story. We want a beginning mm-hmm. and an end. We want mm-hmm. a denouement. We want a resolution. We want a hero and we want a villain. Right. Yeah, exactly. And that's not how this sort of thing I'm going to say generally works. Reality doesn't work like fiction, but our brains are are wired to see it that way, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why, like, say, like, with the election thing, it comes down to who will win. Well, Mm. it shouldn't be a – I've seen it referred to as a horse race. It should be Mm. who has the best idea, how do we decide that's the best idea, and how do we put them into, into position to act on it. Exactly. And that's how it should be. I totally agree. And that's how it is in some places. That's how democracy in theory should function. But that's not how it currently works in some countries. Well, it's not how it works a lot of time because like of, that's true. of how our brains are wired. Hmm. And then, and that's why I say when you look at like the, the idea of culture war profiteering, hmm. it's, it's not – inherently like a willful act in that it's not some evil person twiddling their mustache. How can I break up society today? It's different people, different organizations following the path of least resistance, Mm -hmm. playing upon what's already in, in our, in our brains. Yep. Yep. to, To, to proliferate their own position. Yep. Yeah. And I would agree with you. I think on the upper end, it's basically about gathering, well, mostly money um, and some power. Mm-hmm. And then I think one thing we haven't talked about, though, although you kind of alluded to it earlier, um, is the idea that on the small end, uh, when, when, you know, the individual end, you know, where people make YouTube videos and such. I think it's really about community for a lot of them. Okay. I think it's a, it's about um, finding people who you know, agree with you on the level of that consensus of unity, because I think one of the things the internet has stripped from us in a lot of cases is we just don't interact with other human beings that often anymore. And we feel mm. out of place and we feel rejected, etc. But the moment that you suddenly have all these people rallying around you to, you know, for this cause, can you imagine the high that comes with that? I mean, I've had as a teacher and other things, I've had versions of that in my own life where, you know, I've been part of a movement that's going forward, even going to a concert, you can experience this sometimes. Mm-hmm. And that, the idea, that feeling of being part of this group and being part of a community and everything like that, part of the brotherhood, sisterhood, whateverhood, um, it, uh, it, it, it's a powerful feeling. It's kind of a rush. Yeah. And I think, and we're designed that way where we're designed to respond to that. And I think that, that for us on individuals is a big part of it. I think for a lot of people, as you kind of said, on the individual level, the money often comes later. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, when they discover, for example, let's say I um, I start a YouTube channel about how Martians suck. Okay, so fine. So I start this <laughs> Martians suck YouTube channel. And I'm doing it because I feel really strongly about those damn Martian immigrants or something like that. And so I start my YouTube channel and we do the, you know, Martians suck, ah, whatever. And then the... And eventually I discover, hey, wait, there's other people responding to my videos. So I start talking with them and we start all we start exchanging videos and we, I make buds with some of them. And then we maybe start, you know, then I connect with. So I become part of a community. And so this is going on. It's getting cooler and cooler. But as a side effect, I start getting more and more viewers on my YouTube channel. Eventually, I reach the threshold for monetization. So now suddenly it's not only my you know, hobby to talk about how Martians suck. I now am. Oh, a rallying point and I'm making money doing it. It now can, and in some cases it can quickly become my livelihood mm-hmm. or a great source of supplementary income. And then at that point I have to keep doing it and I have to keep doing more of it and keep looking for new angles and new things to keep people coming back because yep. I need people looking at these videos and I need, need it going on. And all I did was it all started out because I just wanted to express my feelings and then, and maybe, maybe get a little positive feedback from people mm-hmm. and but it eventually ends up turning into a money-making cultural war profiteering machine. And I didn't do it because I'm like evil and I'm trying to stir up you know, things against Martian immigrants or something like that. I did it just because you know I was concerned about immigration or whatever. But And the thing is, eventually it forces me to become even more extreme in my views because I have to constantly be ginning things up to try to keep people more interested in my videos and what's going on. Yeah. And – it's just this it's this snowball effect. And I've noticed that a lot of these culture war profiteer YouTube channels, the YouTubers who basically take on the cause and go for it, a lot of them usually don't seem to last more than a year or two. A lot I notice they tend to burn out. Mm-hmm. Um, not all of them, but and I'm not a big YouTube, you know, culture stuff participator, but this is just an observation. I keep eventually, sooner or later, one of two things seems to happen. They either burn out mm-hmm. or they get outed as some kind of fraud by the community, yeah. which means that they're either not hardcore enough or maybe they've gone a step too far or whatever, or just someone else is looking to take their place and you know knock them off their throne, whatever. But they get dethr- they eventually get excommunicated by the rest of the community, and so that falls apart on that level. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of those two things is generally going to happen to them. But for a while there, they're, they're riding a wave, man. I mean, they're making money. Things are great. They've got a community rallying around them. A lot of them often get involved with like side projects with other people. I mean, mm-hmm. based on the few that I've watched and observed, I mean, it's pretty awesome, actually. I'm at least, you know, I haven't done it myself, but I'd imagine it's pretty darn awesome. Yeah, it can be because, yeah, like I say, to keep that going, you either have to up the ante or diversify. And if you diversify, you start running the risk of offending your 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 core audience. Yep, okay. you eventually lose them. Yeah, yeah. Because um, a weird example of that that I can think of, um, mm-hmm. a few months back, I was listening to a podcast and they um they played a segment from from uh, Rush Limbaugh's show. Okay. And it was uh it was Rush, he says something to the effect of friends, the only thing that the sexually promiscuous, anything goes liberals, can't tolerate is if there's even a hint of lack of consent, and then out come the rape police. At which point one of the people on the show mentioned, which the rest of us just call the police, because that's kind of the definition of sexual assault. Mm-hmm. And I thought about that's a really weird thing to say, because the, the 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 guy is right. Like lack of consent is the definition of of a crime 
but then mm-hmm. I, I realized like Rush used to be the the voice of the right. Mm-hmm. And look at what he's got to contend with nowadays. Mm-hmm. You know, you had Glenn Beck crying over like everything and telling people to that the only way they're going to survive the apocalypse is the three G's, God, guns and gold. You've got Alex mm-hmm. Jones complaining about they're turning all the freaking frogs gay, you know, because once the frogs are gay, of course, world domination falls right behind. Of course. And it's it's that idea. He was at the top mm-hmm. and listening to him. I don't agree with a lot of his conclusions, but he always kind of tried to ground them. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like Rush Limbaugh wasn't one for because the, the the liberals are part of the alien Antarian lizard person conspiracy. He wasn't one to go there. Mm. But now the guys who are the voice of, of, of his movement tend to go more that way. And then how do you compete? Well, it's it's that it's that principle like like you were saying, and mm-hmm. he's un, he's he's probably unwilling to to talk about you know the 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 frogs being turned gay because that gets kind of silly in a hurry, but he's still Just a bit. but he's still got to up the ante to keep the outrage going. So you've got to take the do these bizarre contortions, and that's exactly what you're saying. And this is where something like mm-hmm. profiteering on the quote unquote culture war is bad for society in general because that's how the polarization happens because then you start pulling people in these weird directions and because of the nature of diversified media they're never seriously going to hear an opposing point of view that's true like to to keep it political left right you mm-hmm. can you can get as lefty news as you want. You will never hear a conservative opinion expressed as anything but silly if you'd like. And Mm -hmm. you can get as right a feed for your information as you want. And the only time anything liberal is going to be mentioned is in the same term as Satanist and communist. And Mm -hmm. if you're a centrist, you can get your centrist media, which is just going to have people from each of the far ends yelling like quotes at each other, but no actual, yeah, no actual interaction. So we're never, we're never challenged. We're never shown an opposing viewpoint. And a byproduct of that is we're, we're never encouraged to question our own viewpoint. So we probably don't understand our own argument that well either. And when it comes down to that debate, if I'm debating somebody opposed to me, I don't know their point other than what they're saying. So it's real easy to slough it off because I don't understand what's behind their statement. I I probably don't understand what's coming out of my own mouth. Hence, you know, the Mm. first you make the frogs gay, then you take over the world. There's some steps I can't wrap my head around in there. Um, Mm. And and like I say, this is this is how you get to kind of where we're we're at now, and mm. it all comes down to crappy movies. Damn you, Roger Corman! Damn you to hell! <laughs> no, Roger Corman was great. But I'm talking, I'm talking more like, and it was popular to hack on him, but like your Michael Bay. Oh, dude, Bay's a genius. <laughs> okay, okay, fine. You tr- okay, fine. Commie loser, you try to convince me that Michael J- Michael Bay's films are not, you know, a work of art. Well, because I'm on Team Bay, man. <laughs> well, it depends if you like explosions, but it's that idea that he's perfected what people call mm-hmm. the popcorn flick. And yeah, that's one way to describe it. Yeah, and the pro- okay. and well, because there's nothing wrong if, if you want to watch a Transformers movie and see like 
a bunch of overly busy design robots pounding on each other. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But mm. the problem is everything we get, all of our entertainment is kind of on that level. And we're never challenged again. We're never encouraged to look beyond what's right in front of our face. And even when we are challenged, it's usually not that challenging. Hmm. That's true. Okay. I see your point. And in fact, actually that's going back to, uh, I know I'm derailing your thing for a tiny bit for a <laughs> second here, but this is going back to what I was it you or Jack that mentioned this, but something I like to, uh, ask when I'm dealing with people of, you know, all political and social cultural stripes, um, when they present me with ideas uh, that I'm like, okay, well, all right. I like to just ask, okay, so what's the end game? Mm -hmm. Like, so if you get this, if this thing happens that you want to have happen, what will that look like? What will the result be? What's, you know, what will, what will this produce? And I have found that's generally a good way to stump them really, really fast. <laughs> yeah. Because in most cases, they have no idea what their end game actually is. I mean, they can give you a very, very vague concept of it, but if you actually press them for any kind of specifics, they don't know because they're not. Because uh, and it, if they really believed in this stuff, they should have a pretty clear idea of what their end game is. Uh, but many of them don't. And so I find that's a good way. I, like I said, I'm not doing it to belittle them. I really am just trying to encourage them to, to say, okay, well, to explain what exactly is going to come out of this. Like, what, why are we doing this? Yeah. And it, sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't often doesn't, but whatever. <laughs> well, no, that's a, that's, that's a good way of doing it. Cause, um, hmm. what you can then do is if you have, okay, you win, what does that look like? Now you know what their goal is. Yeah. And you can kind of work backwards because now to understand their position, if they say, well, we have to do this to get to here, you can say, well, I'm not seeing how that gets us there. Walk me back through it. Mm. And the other advantage that you do there, which is one of the ways to overcome these problems, is at that point, it's the wrong verb, but you're attacking their position. You're not attacking them. Yes. And yeah. and that's the problem we have is, is attacking the person not the idea is so much easier mm. and it's so quick and that's what you get and, and that's why you'll hear arguments that are total like straw man that that it's it's mm. you're not really arguing the point this person made you're ordering something that sort of looks like it but is easier to knock down mm. and it's because everything it's that making it personal and then our retort mm. is typically personal as well yeah, that's the problem. So that's why, like, if you vote for the candidate I don't like, it's not because we have a difference in perspective or opinion. It's because you're evil. Yeah, exactly. Or or what you'll hear, too, is because you got pulled in by their, like, brainwashing propaganda, mm -hmm. which goes to the way to overcome the, the ad hominem, the straw man thing, is if somebody expresses, like, an opinion or perspective, mm -hmm. I find it's best... Always assume they're genuine. Mm -hmm. So if if somebody mm. if if somebody's being all social justice warrior, start from the assumption that it's because they actually do care. Which, yeah, okay, yeah, I agree. And it's it can yep. it can be really difficult because, like I say, a lot of the arguments you get from from any issue tend to be kind of. Mm -hmm. oh, I'm going to just say it. They tend to be kind of dumb. 
And it's because they sort of lose sight of what their actual goal is, which is why that idea, okay, you win, what does it look like, mm. is a good way to bring that in. But even if it's a, a, a dumb idea, assume that the motivation is genuine. Because mm. it usually is. I think in most cases, people honestly do believe their positions. And I and I'm not just talking about the left. I mean the right too. They honestly do believe that what they're doing um, is the right way. Like yeah. They, you know, people as a general rule, you have to always assume that anyone you're dealing with believes they're on the right side of history. Nobody thinks to use that to use that phrase. No, yeah. nobody thinks they're the villain. Exactly. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. <laughs> it's paid, you know, it's paved by people who honestly believe they were doing the right thing. Yeah. And it's you, you kind of to 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 bring an interesting take into that. Mm. If you look at the politically the the left right divide, mm. which is by far the most popular divide we have in North American politics. Oh yes, it's the among the top ten divides definitely. Yeah. <laughs> one one of the big problems that nobody on either side of that really understands is where. A lot of the attitude from the other side comes from, and what it is, I'm going to let everybody in on a little secret here. Nobody frames it this way, but this is the best way of looking at it. Okay. People on the right tend to be top-down thinkers. Hmm. The idea okay. is if we fix the top, everything else will fall in line and everything will work out. Right. People on the left tend to be bottom-up thinkers where they think if we shore up the 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 the, the platform, the base, then everything mm -hmm. above it will be stable. That actually makes a horrible amount of sense. And, okay. And, and that's where a lot of the conflict comes from is people on either side realize how the other is thinking. And this is why if you look at, say, conservative thinkers, uh, they tend to look at the role of government. Uh, they, right. They tend to mm -hmm. think – uh, like the trickle-down economics thing. It's the top of the economic system and how that sorts everything out below it. We fix that top part, it all works. If you look at people who tend to be liberal thinkers, they tend to be more individual. They tend to think more in terms of the people. Mm. That And this is where like that classic idea, if everybody had an opportunity and everybody had a chance, then things like crime and that would go down because you, you shore up that bottom, you, you support. And the sad thing is you kind of need both positions, especially like nowadays where everything is divided left, right. It means that nobody yeah. has all the info. Yeah, that's true. And, and, and it goes to such crazy things. And then that's, I think at the moment anyway, that's the biggest type of culture war prof profiteering we're engaging in now in, in North America is, is that left, right political thing. Like the like I said, the problem that you sort of need both. You do actually, because you need because pe if you have people who just focus on the bottom, your top half's not really going to work. It, it it really isn't. You need people that are actually keeping an eye on both the bottom and the top from both sides. Basically, you need balance as it as it were, and the two sides aren't as balanced as they should be. Yeah, and and a, a good example of that would be uh, typically from the left. You'll get an argument from government saying, we need this entitlement program to make things better for people. Hmm. And then the right will immediately chime in, yeah, well, how do we pay for it? Right. And then that's the example because the left is thinking of the people. The right is thinking hmm. of the machinations of the machine. 
Yes. The the ironic thing is they can both be right. Yeah. And you need and often are. Yeah, you need to hammer that back and forth in order to sort mm. the issue. But we don't hammer it back and forth. We end up somebody somewhere sees an opportunity in this and adds a little bit of flavor to the mix that breaks us up so that if we're on the left and the right doesn't think we can pay for this, it's not because they're being like fiscally responsible it's because they're evil nazi fascist bastards that are trying to funnel away those funds to support their next war and if Mm. you're on the right it's not a matter of you know the average person is really getting hammered by life we should probably come up with something that gives them a little breathing space so they're not worried about where their next meal is going to come from it becomes those horrible nasty privileged feeling people just don't want to work and they just want a handout and then it runs from there and nothing works because Mm. the core problem has stopped being Mm -hmm. our focus right you know the solutions that problem aren't our concern it's now propagating this idea Mm. yeah the the actual governing of the country is just kind of like this side thing it's 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 this side thing that, that, that they're forced to do when their main job is really just running a culture war profiteering outrage machine. Yeah, that's basically, I have to agree. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately. And so that's really what we were talking about in this show is basically just about how so much of society now is just about culture war profiteering. It's all about people purposely or inadvertently, sometimes, sometimes both, mm-hmm. um, you know, using and abusing the people around them and using the tools that they've been given in one form or another by the internet especially to um, you know, to gather power, to make money, to accomplish their own personal goals. Mm-hmm. But the problem is you have everyone doing this yep. or almost everyone. And so it turns into a giant mess of people like always battling with each other and struggling with each other for to get their piece of the pie basically. Yeah, which I think in a weird kind of way mm. is a more realistic depiction of what society is. Okay, I can see that. And I think this is one of the reasons why you'll see a lot of, like, especially for us, because we're old and our peers are old and people are, like, talking about the good old days. Because as we've mentioned before, any era kind of gets codified after the fact. So when you look back mm. at the good old days, whenever they were, they don't seem as chaotic and crazy as now because we've summed them up in a couple of things. They're, they're, they're an easy read. Exactly, yeah. Because, yeah, like I say, for people our age, like my peers in that, the good old days they're hearkening back to are the 1970s, and the 1970s were terrible I thought we were children of the 80s, dude. We are, but again, um, the 80s, because we were teenagers, was our era of strife. I wouldn't say so. I think the 80s was actually pretty awesome overall. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a Stranger Things kid, so I thought that, <laughs> so, you know, I, sorry. Uh, sorry for the reference, but <laughs> it's true, you know. Um, anyway, um, but, you know, I was the kid playing a role-playing games back in the, you know, with my friends in their basement, literally. That's what I was doing in my teenage years. And that I, I didn't think the 80s were actually all that bad. In fact, they were, at most points, times of prosperity. Um, and so I remember the 80s as overall being pretty good. Now, the 70s, I was a little young for, so I don't really have great memories of the 70s. So that's why I'm, mm. that's why I'm kind of arguing with you a little bit about that. I don't think I was aware enough of the world. Maybe you were. 
you know, being who you are. Um, so you were aware of the world, but I wasn't really aware of the world, I guess you could say, truly until about until the 70s, I'd say, or sorry, until the 80s. Yeah, I kind of kind of gained political awareness near the end of the 70s. So that's mm. why I remember some of Because when you talk the, the 80s, it's funny because um, when I think 80s, I don't think mm. good times. I think of probably the, the biggest bit of uh, culture war profiteering of our generation. The Cold War? The Satanic Panic. Oh, yes. There's that too. Mm-hmm. Um. Actually, the Cold War wins, but okay, Satanic <laughs> Panic is actually a pretty big, pretty, is actually also a pretty good one. I mean, well, here we talked about that with the Satanic Panic. Cultural panics have been with us a long time, yep. and they always go, and they go always go on. And I would actually, I would argue, yeah, I think culture war, I think that uh, cultural panics are also a form of culture war profiteering because they're usually the end result of someone ginning things up for their for the benefit and getting everyone worked up about something for their own benefit. When you when you put it that way, I think you're right, and I think the the weird thing is uh, cultural panics are mm. the original social media. Sort of that they kind of they kind of fulfilled a lot of the same roles, but they happen. Okay, well they're they're kind of like like uh, texting. They happen underneath the 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 main operations, as it were. Yeah, cultural panics tend to start. I think they tend to be. I think they tend to be okay, grassroots, and they mm, tend to be spare, uh, spread by a gossip and innuendo. That's true. Okay, good point. Social yeah. media, right there. <laughs> Social media, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, people just going back and forth, talking to each other, and spreading it around, and eventually it reaches critical mass, and we have a cultural panic on our hands. And there's a slow news day, and somebody's like, "Have you heard the dangers of this Dungeons and Dragons game?" Dun dun. Exactly. Yeah. Turning people into wizards and making them worship <laughs> the devil. Yep, there it is. Yeah. If you don't know what we're talking about, folks, go back and find our show on the Satanic Panic. We, we cover it in a fair amount of detail. Yes, we did. <laughs> um, and so, ah, good times. Anyway, um, yep. Ah, the Satanic Panic. And and here, there was a video game panic, I remember, that followed in the 80s. Yep. Um, when video games got popular, everyone had Pac-Man fever. Mm-hmm. That was a song, not a panic, though. But there was actually, you know, video games are rotting our kids' minds. That that happened a couple of times, actually. Yeah, it, music, music videos were destroying kids' minds at one point too. Yeah, I mean, almost everything was. Th- this was why I think, uh, for myself, I've if, mm. if I have to declare myself in anything, it's iconoclast. Mm-hmm. And it's why I don't subscribe to the political left-right idea. Mm. Because I remember, yeah, the '80s, the early '80s. We found out that Dungeons and Dragons was evil, and mm. that was mostly coming from like the religious right. Right. A few years later, we found out that heavy metal was going to turn us all into drug-addled axe murderers, and that came mostly from the left. Mm. The right joined in with their "it's satanic," but by then, no, the 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 the, the social consequence was the the big thing, the uh, PMRC and all that. Right. And then when you get near the end of the 80s, that was the big video game thing where we found out that Mortal Kombat was going to turn us all into axe murdering ninjas or something. And it was nice to see that the two halves kind of came together on that one, that they, they, could, I know, they could work I know. together. <laughs> exactly. Well, they both saw the profit in it, so off they went. <laughs> yeah. You know, 
you know, so heaven and hell can work together occasionally <laughs> if, uh, if if there's enough profit in it. Um, and so that's what it really comes down to. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, eventually, if uh, as long as someone can profit from it, there will be a panic or a worry or whatever else. Mm-hmm. I mean, and the media, as I commented back at the beginning, has been doing this from the beginning. Yeah. I mean, pretty much as long as there's been newspapers. I mean, the Cold War, as I mentioned, but if you want to go back, you know, I would actually, you could even argue that uh, even the American Revolution was a form of uh, social, so of sorry, culture war profiteering. True. Uh, because what did we have? We had a bunch of rich landowners who didn't want to pay taxes to the British crown. They want to set their own tax rate. Mm-hmm. And so what they do is they get the – so they start putting out pamphlets and newsletters and generally getting all the people crazy about the idea of, the, oh, my God, look at those like evil – that evil British king, King George, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. He's like taking all your money and stuff and he's not giving you any government and blah, 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 blah. And – but ultimately it's all about a bunch of rich dudes who don't want to pay taxes. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> and and eventually they they you know gin the people up enough that there's a huge you know social uprising and becomes a literal uprising and yeah we get the American Revolution. Mm-hmm. Um, now I'm sure there's a historian right now grinding their teeth. We can, <laughs> well, that, that would be that sound I can hear over there. Uh-huh. Um, he's welcome to write in um, and correct us. Yeah, just come to obeythedna.com and leave nasty comments. Go right ahead. <laughs> we'll we'll read them. Yeah, we kind of um, we kind of simplified the American Revolution a little bit in that example. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, I did, but yeah. Anyway, um, but but the truth is is that mostly it was about you know not paying taxes. Um, now, yes, there's some representation issues and stuff, but that's or at least that's what they claim. Remember, so much of it's just PR and BS, mm-hmm. just like any so you know culture war profiteering really is. Um, now, which that and that leads to an interesting point that I I thought of uh, earlier today. Um, at what point though does culture war profiteering become actual social revolution and social change like there's a certain point where it's no longer about anyone profiteering it really is an actual social movement that's actually working towards real change and trying to change the world hopefully for the better Mm -hmm. not always but hopefully for the better they they assume it's for the better anyway you know at what point can we look at it and go you know this isn't really just about someone trying to you know you know abuse the masses or whatever it really is about you know positive social change that real you know that real things are happening here and it really is not about money or power or whatever it's really about accomplishing good in the world i think and this is you've hit an interesting point i think number one if it sticks and number mm-hmm. two it's the difference between a terrorist and a freedom fighter okay it all just sort of depends how you you cast it like if some and this is where i say too that idea of of assuming people's notions that are genuine Hmm. because a lot of social uh like issues a lot of the the culture war profiteering on social issues Hmm. does have a kernel of of genuine like concern of of an actual issue much of it does yeah yeah it's a matter of of um just how big an issue is it and are you actually working towards solving it and that's where I think what ends up happening with a lot of people, especially nowadays, especially with the turnover rate for the outrage cycle, they lose sight of of what they're actually trying to do. And then that's why that idea of, OK, you've won. What does that look like? 
can mm-hmm. be a very, very powerful, not necessarily argument, but point to bring up. Um, to to sort of uh, take it back down to a more manageable chunk, uh, mm-hmm. let's, let's talk about Marvel Comics a little bit more. Oh, okay, sure. Always good. I could totally understand Marvel wanting to diversify their... Uh, their 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 stable of characters. Mm, oh yeah, because Marvel Marvel comics supposedly take place in New York, and it's supposed to be the real world New York, more or less. Mm. Mm-hmm. The problem is historically, and and again, it's 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 the intent thing. This didn't happen because the people doing the comics back in the day were evil bastards. It was familiarity. It was social inertia. But Marvel New York was filled with a lot of like white guys with hats. Like there were no minorities unless it was the inscrutable Asian martial arts master or the tough guy, black dude from Harlem. Like that seemed to be it. And Mm. again, it wasn't because they were intentionally racist. It was because these were guys that grew up in like the thirties and the forties and have been doing comics for years. And you didn't have a lot of, of depictions of, of minorities or different ethnicities, unless it's specific to the plot, most likely as a villain. So Marvel New York being as as you know white as it was, it's a problem. It's not necessarily an intentional problem, but it's it's a problem. Mm. So you get to later years and diversity is more of an issue. And even just from the point of view of realistically living in New York, and you get like your your third or fourth generation cartoonists living there, working on these comics, going, it doesn't look like how Kirby used to draw it. Like I'm seeing all kinds of different people wandering around here. Hmm. And then, Hmm. so you want to mix that up. Um, Even say for your characters, Hmm. odds are there's going to be more like characters of different ethnicities than you'd historically had. Cause again, of that social inertia thing. So you want to mix it up. You want to diversify. The problem you got nowadays is the second you do that, people are going to start bitching and moaning that you're politically correcting Hmm. up your book. Well, mm. I'm I'm not. It's just I want this to be more representative. And then whatever group mm. I throw in a character that it pertains to, people are going to complain. Like we said, you know, why mm. this group? Why depicting them like this? Why depicting them like that? Why are you? And it put it it locks you into that weird thing that you can't actually fix any of the problems people are complaining about because they won't let you. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's exactly true. And any any fix you attempt is going to piss someone else off. Yeah. And the problem with being yeah. being a big company, you need to sell books, you need to market to an audience. You have no way of really knowing who that audience is. Yeah. That's true. Um, in theory, you would think that they'd be able to use the internet to actually get more of a feel for their audience. I mean, that's. Something I'm not even sure if we talked about this with the Japanese. I believe, yeah, we did. We did talk about this with the Japanese comics when we did the history. Mm-hmm. The whole Shonen Jump thing where they have those cards. Yeah. And they get people to send in those constant reader feedback cards. Believe it or not, I think that that's something that the American system lacks. I think it did have – if I remember, it, they did have it at one time. <laughs> I remember seeing some in old comics. They used to do them every now and then, usually when the industry was yeah. in trouble. Right, but uh, Shonen Jump has always done that, and one of the weird advantages to that is they know who their audience is. Yeah. They have this constant heartbeat of their audience, 
and they can tell what the audience likes and what it doesn't like and they can so they can react because of that whereas i don't honestly think because they're not willing to put the marketing effort or whatever into it i don't think that the american comics industry really understands its audience they i really don't they don't and i think part of the problem too and this is part of the problem that say shonen jump has with those tickets and mm. probably why their their market share it has been going down even though it's still huge anytime you do a questionnaire like that in your publication you're mm-hmm. getting the opinion of people who already read your publication yes that's true if i'm like a marvel comics and i got print runs of 20,000 which it makes me laugh because back in the early days of independence uh dave mm. sim the guy who did uh service the aardvark one of the earliest independent comics uh, during an interview had said that the amazing thing of the comic industry at the time was if you wanted to be a cartoonist, you could make a living with an audience of only 20,000 people. But um, Which is, yeah, yeah. It, it, it seems funny in retrospect. You had to have been there. But, mm. but if you're a Marvel and you're looking to expand your audience, you don't really have a reliable way of doing that because you're either questioning the people – who are already reading your books, who are that diminishing audience of the comic shop crowd from like two generations ago, mm. who, you mm. know what they're going to say, bring back Marv Wolfman. That's all they're going to, okay, whatever. Um, or if you mm. put a petition out in the public, the people who are going to answer are the kind of people who are going to answer petitions. Yes. So true. you're not, again, you're not really getting any kind of idea of who your market is. Like that, I think, is one of the reasons I think small media, especially say like web comics that take off so huge is because it's only one or two people. It's a small group. You don't need that big overhead. You can react really Mm. quickly. And again, I can put out the kind of stuff that appeals to just me. And Mm. if I can do it long enough and get a little bit of attention, I can draw in that audience of people who specifically like just exactly what I do. Mm, True. And if I can get that that message out far enough, I can yell loud enough that everybody looks over here at least once, I might be able to get Mm. enough of an audience to sustain me doing it. I won't be rich, but I might be able to – it'll be the equivalent of a decent job. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh, Yeah, and that's something that some webcomic artists have managed to do, and that's awesome. Mm. I'm glad they've been able to do it. Which is the upside of what we've been talking about all this time. But like I said, again, if mm-hmm. if you're like Marvel, it it's hard to find who your audience and who your potential audience is. And then how do I sell it to them? I think one of the biggest problems your Marvels and your DCs had was they sequestered mm-hmm. themselves in the comic shop. So for – Sequestered themselves in the comic yeah, shop? Yeah, like mean? physically. Okay. So anybody mm. – they they lost that generation in between. They couldn't re 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 up their audience because anybody who might have seen them, the kids, mm. didn't go into the comic yeah. shop. That's where dad went to hang out with his weird friends. But the Japanese stuff took off because you got that everywhere. You get that at the newsstand and the bookstore. Yep. Amazon would cut carry it. And that was why the kids gravitated to that, just because it was available. That was a part of it at one time. Yeah, yeah. and that's, that's and that's what used to happen with with your other comics is that you get that reinvention because they were on the newsstands where people would would like see them. 
Mm-hmm. Once you went to the comic shop, it was only people who would go to a comic shop that would see them. Yeah. yeah. And when the speculator boom hit, it tended to be only people who were looking for an investment that went. So readers disappeared. They went elsewhere. Hmm. Yep. Hmm. Weird. Yeah, it is. Okay, so we should probably start uh, bringing this to a close. So, mm-hmm. so where do you think all this is going? So, what do you think is going to happen with uh, culture war profiteering? Is it just going to continue to get worse? I'm kind of like, uh, this is this is for myself. I'm sort of uh, at a at a loggerhead because I don't know. It, it's the same stuff that's been going on forever and right. ever and ever. Like we've, we've talked about this amongst ourselves. Like I remember when I was a little kid, the big culture mm-hmm. war was the battle of the sexes. And then mm-hmm. it was the generation gap, which was just kind of a rehash <coughs> rehash of what was going on in the sixties. Cause you know, we're living the mm-hmm. same 20 years over and over. Um, mm-hmm. So part of me is inclined to say it's not really going to go anywhere. Cause it's just sort of a state of being. Right. But I can see because of the, the diversification of media, I don't know if necessarily worse is the word, but it might be because I can like this. This is one of the underlying things that lets cyberpunk happen. Right. That you get that the, the dichotomy that's usually played up in cyberpunk literature is the the masses, the, the mass mm-hmm. media and the 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 heroes who are the ones that know what's really going on mm-hmm. but again nobody thinks of themselves as a villain and the real life cyberpunk is just everybody thinking they know what's really going on mm, i think that's a big part of it mm-hmm. um i think there are a couple things that are happening as consequence um in america a common thing you'll hear uh, demographers people who study people movements of society and stuff like that talk about is there you often hear the term the big sort mm. Where one of the things that seems to be happening more and more in the United States is people seem to be moving to be closer to people more like them. Yeah. So one of the things that's happening is the so the so-called red states are getting redder and the blue states are getting bluer. And so what we're seeing is is that because of as maybe partly as a side effect of culture war profiteering and other things, the country is literally realigning itself. Mm-hmm. And how much of that's going on? How much of that's being hype? I don't know. Okay, that's something. But but you'll but if you actually look into it, you'll see a lot of researchers talking about that. And what the end result of that will be, I don't know. It may actually be the United States may reach the point where it really can't function as a country anymore because it's gone so polarized. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the true dangers with culture war profiteering. I mean, is that well. Uh, how can I use the metaphor? Okay, here I'll here I'll use a somewhat cliche, but it'll work metaphor. Okay, so one drop is perfectly harmless. You know, one drop is uh, you know it, you know, and one drop can do whatever it wants, and it can be you know can be fine. Okay, it doesn't really matter in the great scheme of things. Mm. A million drops is a flood. Yeah, and so if we get enough people, when you get enough people going in the same direction, it creates all sorts of problems. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, and the fact that the culture war is being so hyped up is, uh, is allowing for other opportunities from other, cause remember not everyone 
has the best intentions in mind. I'll give an example. So in uh, down in the United States, uh, there was just a what was it? Uh, federal lawmakers. Okay, so here just quickly give it. So here's the title: Federal lawmakers on Wednesday. This is from uh, let's see the Texas Tribune from November first. Okay, mm-hmm. federal lawmakers on Wednesday released samples of three thousand Facebook ads purchased by Russian operatives during the 2016 presidential campaign. The ads conveyed the wide range of influence Russian-linked groups tried to enact on Americans, but one set of ads in particular hit close to home. Last year, two Russian Facebook pages organized dueling rallies <laughs> in front of the Islamic Dawei Center of Houston, according to information released by U.S. Senator Richard Burr, a North Carolina Republican. And basically what happened is these two completely fake Russian groups managed to actually create rallies both for and against, you know, the same cause mm-hmm. and set all these Americans actively you know, against each other and fighting each other and such. Mm-hmm. And the end result is the, the profiteers here were the Russians who were just trying to cause chaos, yeah. you know, in their political rivals. <laughs> And when you have a populace that's so ginned up by this stuff, and so, you know, you can start to get them to do a lot of things that might not be in their best interest or even society's best interest. And, you know, there are people that are going to take advantage of that from outside your society, your culture, your whatever. I mean, and then it goes back again. It's culture war profiteering, but it can have some really dark side effects to Mm -hmm. it. And... As we're getting social media, which we've talked about before, is all designed to keep you engaged in social media by getting giving you more of exactly what you love and what you want. Mm-hmm. So it makes you worse and worse. Like it's literally designed to just feed you endless amounts of exactly what you want to hear. Yeah, yeah. And that's just going to make people more and more extreme in their you know beliefs. And they'll const- every and everyone already believes they're right, but then you have a machine that's designed to constantly promote you, pu- you know, promote you and pump you up and say, oh no, you're totally right, and you should totally believe in this. Hmm. And but the problem is it's doing that to everyone and it's telling them all they're right, even if their if their views don't agree with each other. <laughs> yeah. Um. So so it's creating a pro- progressively more and more volatile situation, and that's what I was con- like, what I'm concerned about. Mm-hmm. And again, as you said, we don't know often how loud some of these voices are. Like it's really tough to gauge, you know, how many people really are behind, you know, this group that's trying to, I don't know, um, you know, go against Martian immigrants or something like that. Mm-hmm. Well, how, how, you know, is it 10 people? Is it 1,000 people? Is it 100,000 people? Yeah. You know, what's really going on? You know, what's the scale here? And we really can't judge that very well. Yeah. I mean – there, there are people who can judge it. They're called like Facebook, for example. They can actually, they have actual statistics. They can look and see how many people are actually doing that, but they won't give that information to anyone. Yeah. They won't let anyone really see what the actual numbers are because it's not in their best interest. Yeah, that's kind of the irony is that um, the promise of the internet was that you know the the old gatekeepers wouldn't be able to control you anymore, but we just have new ones. Ah. <laughs> uh. Say hello, oh, say goodbye to the old boss. Say hello to the new boss. Same the old boss. smiling all around. Yeah, <laughs> and that's that's kind of how it is, isn't it? I yeah. mean, it, 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 we we basically we got we're getting rid of the old giant media gatekeeper companies and we're replacing them with a new set that are even more effective at manipulating us than the old ones were. Well, yeah, because like we said, the the thing with social media is we are the creators of the content. 
Yep. That's that's we create our own prisons. That's that's another old quote. We have met the enemy and they is us. And they is us. <laughs> Wasn't that from Pogo? Yep. Yeah. Uh, all the wisdom of the universe is somewhere in old comics. Yep. Who knew? <laughs> you know, someone pointed out actually in a show I was listening to that uh, I, you know, there's an Isaac Asimov story that I actually haven't read and I have to get around to it. Something about Caves of Steel. Mm-hmm. Do you know the one I'm talking about? No. Caves of Steel was a story Asimov wrote back in the 50s, okay? Um, which is about. Basically, society ends up being a whole bunch of people living in these little metal boxes where all their needs are catered to. And eventually society just falls apart because no one interacts with each other anymore and everything just collapses. But, you know, whatever. Um, Because everyone lives in their own little metal bubbles. Asimov was a really, really smart dude. He really (laughs) was, I have to say. That dude knew a hell of a lot, mm. and I and you know when I see things like uh, just in time delivery of your groceries and everything else, <laughs> you can we literally don't even have to leave our little boxes anymore. Right. Um, so eventually, you know, we'll just be existing with each other in a virtual world. We could call it the Oasis, <laughs> and uh, we can. Uh, most of our readers probably don't get that joke yet. You will in a year. Trust I me. Bet I bet. Uh, if you're listening to this, at, I what? bet a lot of them know. <laughs> uh, if you don't know what i'm talking about give it a year come back listen to this podcast you'll know what i'm talking mm-hmm. about um anyway so the uh, but uh <laughs> you know and society just kind of falls apart which because it would and and i guess that's my greatest concern is i can see that this there is a breaking point and it's going to come sooner or later and it may come sooner than later mm-hmm. um but on the plus side, I mean, you know, Yellowstone may erupt and kill us all first anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Gotta look on the bright side. <laughs> exactly. Always look on the bright side. <laughs> anyway, um, well, we, okay, actually, here, let's try to finish on a slightly more positive note. Okay, so <laughs> again, why start now? Can, <laughs> well, no, but okay, but can any? I'm gonna actually say it. Can any good come from this? Like, I mean, maybe. All this social media, you know, as we, as I said earlier, this does allow pe- the minorities, the people who are powerless or voiceless, to come out and be heard. So maybe this will end up starting to transform society for the better. In fact, maybe people start using the tools of social, uh, of social war profiteering to actually turn them against social war profiteering, and maybe they'll eventually manage to, you know, produce a better society from all of this. Maybe I could there I got kind of two takes on that okay i think if you want to be optimistic about it the nice Mm. thing about all of this stuff is it puts all of our worst traits right out in the open where we have to deal with them okay so there's that there's a hope we can fix the problem because we can't hide from it Mm, now the other side of that is if Mm. we all just lived in our little metal cocoons being like fed through a tube and plugged into the oasis society would run really really well it would run really well why because no one's participating yeah basically because it wouldn't need us at that point we're just kind of filed away for later for whenever we're needed wow and under those circumstances 
mind you, under those circumstances, you can't really have a democracy yeah, anymore. Yeah, but you, it would literally. But you don't, you don't mm-hmm. need it because there's not going to be any conflict. I'm not going to leave my box to go punch you in the face. I don't care. <laughs> that would be the that's, that's the perfect society. <laughs> Everyone just exists in their own happy little world, mm-hmm. and no one has to worry about any. St- oh yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Okay. Oh, there we go. So, 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 actually, what you're saying is that Ready Player One is actually not only the future; it's an it's a it's a utopian future. Yeah, the best we can hope for. All right, everyone, go out and see Ready Player One next summer from <laughs> Amblin Entertainment and whatever else, because that's what I was referring to. Of course, if there is a next right. summer. Well, I did get a thing in my newsfeed today about how uh, Kim Jong Un is apparently planning to uh, detonate a bomb that's going to cause a super volcano at Yellowstone to erupt and kill us all. <laughs> So, you know, maybe they're, you know, so there's that. Mm-hmm. But uh, since I don't think that's going to happen, we'll probably be here next summer. <laughs> I hope we are anyway. I got my spike cod piece and goalie mask ready to go. Awesome. <laughs> I, on the other hand, will probably die a fairly quick and violent death. Oh, well. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm a, I'm a nerdy teacher type, so I have to assume. I always assume that in any apocalypse, I'm among the first to go. I'm going to be zombie chow. I'm, you know, I, I'm, yeah, I'm going to be a zombie pretty quick in the, <laughs> in the zombie apocalypse. I, I resigned myself to that a long time ago. That might not be so bad. I, you know, at least I won't have to worry about anything anymore because I won't have to worry about anything anymore. Good. <laughs> Good night, folks. Thanks for listening. Um, hopefully this show has been a little bit educational. Um, you know, just a disclaimer. We, as you might have guessed, we really aren't blaming any particular group for anything. Mm-hmm. We're really just saying... This is kind of just the way things are. Kind of everyone's doing this stuff. Mm-hmm. And if we've, uh, you know, if we've made your team sound bad, we apologize or not. It doesn't really matter. If if we don't apologize, the other team will love us even more. <laughs> um, so and that's the thing, right? You you the only way to win is not to play. And by saying that, somebody's going to get offended that we didn't pick a side. Oh, that's true. <laughs> come to our come to our show uh, show page at obeythedna.com and leave nasty comments. Okay. <laughs> Good night, folks. Bye. Thanks for listening to the show. If you'd like to hear more or join the conversation, come visit us at obeythedna.com. You can also find us on iTunes or whatever fine podcast site forgot to lock their back door. So until next time, remember. The to master the nerdly arts takes time, practice, and enough Coca-Cola to drop a rhino. See ya!